Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Flesh won't want to go beyond what it can see. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Fight through that. Do it anyway. Fight through living a life, you guys, that is limited to what you can see. I can see how this will work out, so I'll do it. You know, God may speak to you to do something for him, and it's like, I don't think I can do it. I'm afraid to do it. Fight through that. Fight the good fight of faith. Paul tells Timothy that a lot of things God's going to call you to do that are going to grate against your flesh. You're not going to be able to see how it can work out. And you fight the good fight of faith. Trust God beyond what you can see. Has God ever stretched your faith? Did it grate against your flesh? How did it work out? In today's message, Pastor Bill encourages us to feel the fear and do it anyway. It's scary to obey God when we don't know the results. It's risky, but God always has a purpose in asking us to do scary things. He does this to increase our faith. Growing our faith always involves trusting God for something we can't see. Let's take comfort in knowing that God has already seen our future and knows how this will work out. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. This phrase, old man of God. We hear that a lot in churches today. Everybody's, oh, he's a man of God. He's a man of God. I just want to point out that in scripture, it's a scarcely used phrase. It's not a common phrase. It's not attributed to very many in scripture. Just a few people, some Old Testament men of God, some real men of God, and here Timothy is called that. It's not a quote. It wasn't for every person that stood behind a pulpit. It wasn't ascribed to every person that did something. It, it was handpicked few that are ascribed that title. And so I just throwing that out there because we use it like nothing now. Oh, he's a man of God, the man of God, the man of God. Timothy, he says, oh, you old man of God. And he tells him some things to flee. He said, flee those things. What? Flee the love of money. Flee the pursuit of gain. Flee that mindset altogether. This is what you need to go after, Timothy. This is what you're to pursue. These will be healthy things for you and I to pursue as well. These will be healthy things for us to be ministering our young ones to pursue. Righteousness, just being a right standing with God. Godliness, again, living after the Lord. Faith, love, patience, gentleness. And then he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you also were called. And have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I was pondering that phrase, fight the good fight of faith. Paul says faith is a fight. Anybody here that's trying to walk by faith, trying to believe God beyond what you can see, you know it's a battle. It's a difficult thing. There are times where God will allow us to be in situations where I can't see how. But God, you said. And so we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And so he says, hey, Timothy, fight the good fight. What's the good fight? It's the fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Battle for that. Win that battle. When, you're, when your flesh can't see it, doesn't want to obey it because I don't, flesh won't want to go beyond what it can see. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Fight through that. Do it anyway. Fight through living a life, you guys, that is limited to what you can see. I can see how this will work out, so I'll do it. You know, God may speak to you to do something for him. And it's like, I don't think I can do it. I'm afraid to do it. Fight through that. Fight the good fight of faith. Paul tells Timothy that a lot of things God's going to call you to do that are going to grate against your flesh. You're not going to be able to see how it could work out. And you fight the good fight of faith. Trust God beyond what you can see. 
And again, I hate how today faith is used and what we call the prosperity gospel, the word faith movement. Faith is always used to get us more stuff. If you just believe you can have whatever you say, you can just speak. A, I've talked to so many people that say, I'm like, can you can you do me a favor right now? Speak something into existence. Just right now. You do it. Right. You believe that? Speak something. They, nope, they can't do it. Right. It's not true. It's a lie. But they preach it and people be like, hey, man, oh, oh. And give me that money for it. You can't speak something into existence. Um, anyway, he tells him here, he says, um, you have uh, you to fight the good fight of faith. Again, that's trusting God, believing in God uh, for who he is. And if you guys remember, if you look at the, the book of Hebrews, we call it the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And then maybe just for homework, you can just go read that on your own. As you read through each person, it reads like this by faith. Abraham did X, Y, and Z. By faith, Sarah did this. By faith, Enoch did this. By faith. And when you read through the whole thing, you won't find one person who by faith got some more stuff. You'll find that everybody by faith did greater things for God. By faith, they had victory, spiritual battles that they won, things that they, they acquired. The one person that was handling stuff was Moses. And by faith, Moses let go of stuff to live a simpler life and follow and pursue the call of God for him. By faith, he left Pharaoh's house. He left a, a prominent place, a prominent position. He left that behind to go do what God called him to do. And so, again, when you look at what faith should do in a life of a believer, it should make you a lot more radical in your obedience and what you're willing to do for the Lord. And so, fight the good fight of faith, he tells Timothy. And he says, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called. And have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. So he says twice in this little section, the good confession. I was looking that up. What's it talking about? It's what we believe as Christians. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, that he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That, that and Paul, Timothy has confessed this. He says, hey, Jesus confessed the good confession. Uh, he witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. If you're going to write notes, um, I'm going to give you two verses where he did this. We're not going to go to it. But in Matthew chapter 27, verse 11, um, they asked him, Pontius Pilate questioned him who he was. And he said, yeah, as you have spoken, you know, I am the king of the Jews. And then in John 18, verse 37, again, as, as he's in that interaction with Pontius Pilate, um, acknowledging that he is Christ, he is God. And so that is the good confession that they're talking about here. Um, and hopefully everybody here has confessed that. Um, Romans 10, 9 10 said that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And so there is a belief that manifests in a confession. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe he died on the cross, rose from the grave. And God says, confess that then. Confess him to be Lord of your life. Um, it's not a private thing. It's not a personal belief, as some would say. You know, it's something that we believe and we confess. We acknowledge it publicly. Um, the Bible says, Jesus, said, if you deny me before men, what does he say? I'll deny you before my father and the angels in heaven. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father and the angels in heaven. So uh, it is a big deal to the Lord, that confession. Timothy's confessed it. Jesus had acknowledged it. So should we. Moving on. And it says now, um, verse 15, 
which he will manifest in his own time, says he who is the blessed only potentate. I'll come back to that in just a minute. The king of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And so here we just get a list of things that God is. Um, he was manifesting his own times. He is the blessed and the only potentate. That's not a word we use every day. It's not a word you hear people walking up and down the street saying, you know, hey, this is, the, it, this is what it means. It means sovereign. It means someone that's an absolute ruler. When it says that Jesus is the one and only, the potentate, that means there is no authority above his authority. He's it. Nobody's higher than Jesus. There'll never be someone that trumps him. And so it goes on to say, an elaboration of that same term, king of kings. Kings are men or people in authority. Well, he's the king of kings. That means there's no authority above him. A lord. He's a lord of lords. Lords are also people that are in authority over others. Well, he's the lord of the lords. And so in every instance, we have Jesus being put at the very top. None greater than him. Nobody, no king, no person, no authority, no ruler, no spiritual entity. Nothing ever has been, will be greater than Jesus. And that's why we worship him. That's why, because that's the truth. That's where we're to elevate him to in our own hearts and lives. Nothing's greater than Jesus. No one's greater than Jesus. I don't want anything more than I want Jesus. I don't value anything here more than I value Jesus. He's it. King of kings, Lord and towards the, the one and only potentate. All right. He's the sovereign. He's the ruler. He's, a, he's, he's it. None greater than him. And if we believe that right, it'll impact our worship, you guys. It'll impact how we live. It'll impact how we think. It'll impact the decisions that we make when I've valued in my own estimation Jesus to be greater than anything else. And so nobody's opinion matters more than his because he's greater. His opinion matters more than my parents because he's greater than my parents. And so when I'm conflicted between what God wants and what they want, I'm not conflicted because he's greater. When I'm conflicted between what I feel, what I think and what he says, I'm going to roll with what he says, because in my estimation, he's the greatest. He's greater than even me. He's greater than what I think. He's greater than my mindset. He's the greatest. So I'm going to roll with what he says. It'll impact every aspect of our life. If we don't just read these words off this page, but we believe it in our hearts, it'll impact what you do, how you live, how you think, what you will and won't do will be absolutely impacted by whether or not we believe Jesus to be king of kings, Lord of lords over everything. Um, and it should impact us. And so I don't want to just read that over and keep it moving. I'm challenging you to consider rather you're living like he's he's above everything. And if you haven't been that today would be a day where you just realign yourself. Sometimes we come and we sit under the word. God's just realigning us. He said, hey, you had that off a little bit or you had that off a whole lot. But today it just got, it got that in order in my life. If you walk out of here with nothing else today, but that I'm going to I'm going to put Jesus above everything that I, that'd be good enough. That that's good enough to change all of our lives. Just put him over every aspect of our lives. Amen. So moving on, it says that who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. And you don't want to skimp over everlasting power, right? His power is not for a period of time. It's everlasting. Right. The same power he had in eternity past. He has now he'll have in the future It's everlasting power. Everybody else has ever ruled and reigned. Their power ends when their reign ends because he's never going to stop reigning. His power is also everlasting power. Last little section here. Verse 17, it says, 
Command those who are rich. And so this is instruction for those that are wealthy. Um, in most cultures, the, well, the Bible says that it's hard for a rich man to do what? Enter the kingdom. It's hard. Like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's a difficult thing because many times, not always, but many times those that have a lot of things, it's hard for them to look to God. Um, as you go through the Gospels and you see that all the people that God said, hey, stop what you're doing and come follow me. Peter stopped fishing, followed him. James and John left their dad's fishing business to follow Jesus. Matthew left his tax collecting gig to follow Jesus. You know, the little bitty Zacchaeus was ripping people off as a tax collector. He left his gig to follow Jesus. But there was a rich man, the rich young ruler. And he said, hey, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, Here, this is what you do, because I know you. Take everything that you own, sell it, give it to the poor, then come follow me. You have great treasure in heaven. And you know what it says? He went away sorrowful for he had much wealth. He had a lot of things. He couldn't do it. He's like, all my stuff? Ooh, no, I can't do that. I don't believe that much. I love my stuff. And we don't read anything else about that guy. Right? Everybody else's story, you can read it through. Peter left fishing to follow Jesus. Jesus, I'll make you a fisher of man. We got Peter in the book of Acts still going. James and John were renamed later to Sons of Thunder. You know, and we see them later on. The rich young ruler, do we see him again? It's over. Loved his stuff too much. So it's not wrong to be rich and it's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong for things to have us. And so he gives some instruction here for those that are blessed to have things, uh, those that are wealthy. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. A normal characteristic of rich folk is they're prideful. Don't you snooty, you know? Don't talk to me like that. I'm Neiman Marcus or whatever. He says, first of all, if you're Christian and you're rich, don't be haughty. Don't be, don't be like that. That's just, that's just not right. Don't be haughty. He says, nor don't to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Something that happened to rich people is they can begin to trust in their riches. Because they can buy their way out of everything and buy their way into everything and they can begin to trust that God says, if you're wealthy, if you're blessed to have things, be careful not to get to a point where you trust in it. Make sure you're trusting in me. A great example in um, 2 Kings 15 and 16, there was a king named Asa. Um, when he first took over, I mean, the guy was radical. He was kicking out everybody ungodly. He kicked out his own grandmother. It was like everybody out just, just he was cleaning house because it, the people before him had been wicked. He cleaned up and just was living for the glory of God. He, he had a, 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 a group of Ethiopians wanting to come out to war. They had him way outnumbered and better armory. And he prayed an amazing prayer. And he said, God, is nothing for you. Rather, there are many or few. You got this, Lord. I trust you for it. And God gave him victory. And then they became very wealthy. And the years went by. And as you keep reading the story, you see that he became a man in his wealth that became very self-sufficient. And so later on in his life, some people wanted to come to war. He didn't pray. He said, hey, guys, go into the treasury and get out some of this and some of that and pay them guys to go handle that for me. And it worked. I got money now. I got to pray. I'll just pay them off and they'll go take care of my little stuff for me. And it happened. Then it says in the 39th year of his reign. So 39 years, he's 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 gotten real kind of complacent and real self-sufficient. And he got sick with a foot disease. And it says that he didn't seek the Lord. But he died, it says, in the 41st year. Because of that foot disease. So he got sick in 39 years. So he had two years. For two years, he sought physicians. And he probably paid them real good because he had money. But he died of a foot disease. And it's not spoken explicit, but it's inferred that had he sought the Lord, the Lord would have healed him. But he never prayed. 
Um, he became very sufficient with his stuff. And so that's the weakness of stuff. We can begin to trust in it. So God says, hey, if you're wealthy, don't be haughty. Don't trust in uncertain riches, but make sure you're continuing to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Don't be made to feel guilty if you're rich. Right. God he says that God gives you all things to enjoy. Enjoy it. It's OK. Um, some Christians on the other side, they want to make people rich feel bad. You got all that stuff over there. People starving and other countries and it's like God gives you all things richly to enjoy I'm not going to make a rich person feel guilty that God's blessed them it's okay um, so if God's blessed someone materially it's not a crime they're not immediately become wicked people um, he says hey God's giving you all things richly to enjoy and then he gives more instruction let them do good that they may be rich in good works ready to give willing to share um, something that someone that has a lot can do is they can give to those that have need they can give to Things that where there's needs, let them be ready to give. Let them be willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. And so, again, they're storing up, uh, they're giving and sharing, they're storing into eternity, into eternal life. And the last uh, couple verses, verse 20, it says, Oh, Timothy, guard what has been committed to your trust. Avoid avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it some astray concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. And in this last thing, Paul tells Timothy, hey, he says, hey, don't get wrapped up in these little silly arguments. Anybody here know people that like to argue? They just like to go and go and go. Um, he says, avoid that. Um, avoid it at all costs. There's something innate in me that. I'll be jumping into conversations. If it's something spiritual and somebody's saying something that's incorrect about God, I'm like, eh, what? What? Boom. And I just, I, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. My, my daughter, Harmony, know me. I, she'll be with me and we'll be at somewhere and I'm listening. I'm like, oh, I said about God. What? Where is my God? It's just, oh, that's not right what they said about God right there. And she's like, Dad, Dad. I'm like, no, I, you know, I got to say something. I was, I was like, little, I'm just gonna jump, and I just, she's like, well, you, that's, you just, I'm gonna jump in the conversation. How you? I heard you said something about you said, you said Jesus. Did you say that? You said that, right? And I just, I'm just gonna jump in there. I feel like I'm supposed to do that. So, um, if you were talking about my mama, and I overheard it, and you said, you know, she was this old when she was born. I'm like, hey, she was actually born in that 47. She had, she had two years off, but I know her. That's my mama. You know what I'm saying? I know the Lord and you talking about it, I'm going to say something. I don't feel bad about that, but we got to be careful not to get wrapped up in idle babblings, useless wranglings, just empty arguments. Anybody knows the difference between I'm having a discussion with someone that maybe we disagree on something. We're, we're talking it out to see how we ended up at our conclusions and it could actually be edifying and beneficial both ways. Uh, we know the difference between that and idle, babbling, useless, wrangling, someone that's just making up stuff as they go. You answer this question, they got five more. It's like, you know, this ain't going nowhere. I'm going to just get out of it. You keep what you got. Don't get wrapped up in that. Don't get, don't get spun all out of control, you know, on the corner, talking to this guy, idle, babbling, useless, wranglings, when you got three people over here that would gladly hear the truth. Um, that guy just eating up all your time. And so we got to be careful about that. He says, Timothy, you got the truth. What you have is valuable. I want you to be faithful to share it. Don't get wrapped up with those guys. They're time eaters. They're wasting your time, energy, and effort. And they might be getting you stirred up in your emotion. And they got you looking all angry in the face. And now you're kind of out of pocket to do what you've been called to do. Be careful about those people. If you got people in your life that you know they're not hearing you, they're not listening, 
and they're not going to change their views or they're not, they're not, been, and they, but they always get you in debate and argument. There's a time when I could just say, hey, you got what you got. I owe you an explanation one time. I, what I'll do with people is say, hey, I, I got to share this with you. And so I'm going to, I'm going to buy the opportunity to share with you by listening to you first. You go first. I'm going to model what it is to shut up and listen. You go first. Tell me what you believe. I'm going to not say nothing. I'm going to listen. And it may take a long time. When you're all done, I just bought my opportunity. Now I'm going to take my turn. I'm going to share the gospel as quick, as clear, as plain as I can. It's the power of God to salvation. And when I'm done, I'm not going to have 20 more arguments with you if you're not open to receive it. I'll leave you with that. Now I'll just, I'll, some God can water that seed later on. I don't owe you 20 arguments. Uh, I don't owe you a debate every time I bump into you at the store. Um, that's it. We're done. You know, he says, Paul, or Paul telling Timothy, be careful about that because some of us are emotional. And I've, I've seen people that love God and know the word and they can get so into a, a discussion. It's like, man, you, you don't look Christian right now. You, you look like y'all might go to blows in a minute. And it's like, you know, just, just stop. You know, there's a point at which Paul said, Timothy, you're a man of God. Don't go there. That's not for you. Um, and so we need to know the difference. And so as we wrap this up today, you guys, we talked about a lot of different things honoring those over us. And so for you guys that are maybe in a work employee-employee relationship, consider your witness at work. Uh, maybe as you go in tomorrow or this week, uh, you go in with a fresh attitude. Go with the intent. God, I want to be a blessing. I want to leave such a good impression for you on these people. I want them to see me. I want them to see you in me as I go to work this week. Help me with that. And um, if, you, if you left a bad taste in some people's mouth, go make that right this week. Do it for God. Do it for his glory. Uh, do it to be a good witness. And so how we work, we can be a witness in our work. Um, we, we looked at the, the source of true contentment. And so if you've been seeking contentment anywhere else, if you've been thinking, if I could just get that, if I could just have this, if I could just acquire that, I hope that you can lay that down today and that you could just be so glad to have Jesus. And that, that, that could, could that be your meditation this week? God, I'm thankful to have you. Let me meditate on what that means for me. Let me spend, spend this week focusing on that. God, what's, what's it mean to me to have you? And let that be your contentment. Let that just fill your heart that you are blessed to know him and to be known by him. Um, greater than anything you can buy or have ever for eternity. Next, we talked about Paul told him some things to flee. You know, flee being someone that loves money, is greedy for money, greedy for stuff. That's not the attitude of the believer. But pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue these other qualities, faith, love, gentleness. And he says, fight the good fight of faith. And so maybe there's some steps of faith that God has been speaking to you to take. And maybe you're afraid and you have your own fears and maybe you you've thought your way out of it. Um, could you be encouraged today to be back into the fight, fight the good fight of faith? The things that God has spoken to us to do, especially the things that we can't see. God, I can't see how that'll work out. That's a great place for God to show up. And because and, now we can't have God. If you don't show up, it won't work. So I'm now I'm just I'm just put myself out there. And I say this all the time, but I'll say it again for those that are struggling to take a step of faith. It would be better to fail stepping out to do something for God than to succeed at doing nothing. It'd be better to step out there and say, you know what, I, I'm just going to go for it. Maybe, maybe not. But I, I'd rather step way out there. And oh, I didn't work out, but I, at least I got out there, though. You know what I'm saying? I, at, least you, at least you step out. It'd be better to fail trying than to succeed at not doing anything at all. And lastly, we looked at the believer's attitude towards money. And again, money's not evil. But loving it, desiring it, wanting it can be evil. It's the root of evilness that we need to be content with the things that we have. 
If God has blessed you to be wealthy, then you want to be a blessing with it, not be proud or haughty or arrogant, but you want to share and be a blessing, um, storing up treasure in heaven. So we want to be careful how we deal with the material world um, that it's okay to own some stuff, but we don't want to have some stuff owning us because we came with nothing and we're going back with nothing. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're so glad you took the time to be here. Pastor Bill is diving into the book of 1 Timothy, a letter Paul wrote to the young pastor with words of wisdom on how to lead. Paul taught Timothy to serve in humility by sharing his own story of salvation. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There is no quicker antidote to pride than to look at who you were when Jesus found you. As you guide people to Jesus, Remember where you were and be open with your story. The world doesn't need a perfect leader. It needs humble people to lead them to the Savior. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Did you want to hear more from Pastor Bill or listen to today's message again? You can find today's message and many others on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to do some deeper study for yourself, we have a daily Bible reading plan you can join in on with us. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be back right here next time for more in the book of 1 Timothy on A Transforming Word. <laughs>